Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, and uh, whatever time you're listening, welcome back to the next episode of the Dental Implant Podcast. Um, I'm sounding not quite myself at the moment because I've got this weird head cold thing that's that's been going around. Uh, it's just so my sinuses are a little bit blocked, so I apologize. Uh, I apologize for that. And I am very happy to be here with a friend of mine, um, somebody that I've known for best part of about 14 years. Um, and uh, Sonil Harani is a specialist orthodontist and to say that he's a specialist orthodontist is to do him a little bit of a disservice actually because he's a he's he was a very high level consultant doing all sorts of crazy cases with ortho and uh, this podcast just kind of like wanted to be recorded it was almost off the cuff wasn't it Sonil because it was was just kind of like because you, you're actually see this is the dedication of this man right is he's abroad on holiday with his family and I was you know, he's like Pap, I can carve out half an hour 45 minutes for this uh, so he's actually in Dubai at the moment making me very very jealous um, and he's very kindly offered to uh, uh, spend a little bit of time with us uh, to go over the interplay between uh, orthodontics and implants so Sunil Thank you so much, and I hope I'm not in too much trouble with your family for checking. No way, you man. Uh, listen, I never say no to you, and you know, anytime you know you need me, all you do is press the button. You know, that's what friendship is about. Um, I owe you a debt of gratitude as well. You know, firstly, thank you for having me on this podcast, um, and secondly, you know, I've learned you know things from you that have shaped my clinical career um, and my and my clinic. And in fact, as you say. Um, yeah, we met over a decade ago. I think you were at Guy's as well. I think you're a Guy's man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Correct. I think you were a couple of years behind me in the program. So now we're going back to about 20 years, if not more. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, and you ain't changed a bit. So, um, you know, um, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, I hope I can answer some of the questions tonight. Um, I'm going to bring you up to speed with some of the even more crazy stuff I'm doing, but, uh, yeah, fire away, please. Okay, so uh, Sonil, can you just give for those listening just a little bit of um, introduction to yourself, a little bit of a background, so kind of like the listeners know who they're talking to, so they understand um, that when you're talking, you're talking from a point of knowledge and experience. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, my name's Sunil Hirani. I'm a specialist orthodontist. Um, I have been for almost 20 years. In fact, in in six months, it will be my 20th anniversary that I've been on the register. And basically, uh, yes, I've done all my basic training, um, undergrad at Guy's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, worked in hospital, um, in various hospitals, you know, senior house officer post. Um, I then did my fellowship in dental surgery. That exam doesn't exist anymore. It's been changed a number of times. But that exam had a ruthless pass rate when I did it. It was, but it was, it was between twenty and twenty-five percent that ever made that exam. So the rest of those people were thrown out. Um, and if you didn't get that exam, you couldn't apply for orthodontic training. So that's the cutthroat level it was. Um, you know, when I passed it in nineteen ninety-eight. And the funny thing was, it was a Royal College of Surgeons exam. I, I won't forget this story because I qualified in ninety-six. When did you qualify? Was it ninety-eight or? 
2002. Okay. So I qualified in 96 and then uh, I was determined to become an orthodontist because people said it can't be done. And whenever someone says something like that to me, it just, it, it it's like a rocket that's, you know, that's been inserted into me. It just sets me off. Yeah. Cause I don't like hearing the word no. And I don't like hearing the word it can't be done. You know, uh, you know anything impossible? If you if your mind can conceive it, then you can achieve it. It's as simple as 100%. that, and it's the same truth in implants as well. Am I right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So if you can see it in your mind, I know you're going to make it happen, or you're going to try your best. So, so then what happened was is basically um, I then had to do um, various jobs. Of course, the killer part is you know passing this you know ruthless exam. And I got I got the part one again twenty twenty five percent failure um, pass rate. I got that first go, and then I did the part two, and the part two again is is the same statistics, and I got that as well on my first go. And then I get a letter from the Royal College of Surgeons at Lincoln's Inn Fields in London, Holborn, saying, you know, dear Mister Hirani, you know, well done uh, on passing your exam, but we cannot give you this award yet and I looked at this letter in absolute disbelief Pav saying listen I've done everything you know when a man you know does everything he's supposed to he should be paid his dues Um, when he jumps through all the hoops and everything in life and puts you know he he makes a sacrifice he should be rewarded Uh, and then I read the next bit of the letter and the reason is it says you have not been qualified for three years and the rules of the examination are you need to be qualified for three years minimum. So in your case, you've sat the examination at two years and five months after qualifying. If you're prepared to wait for seven months, we will give you this award because I sat it at record time. And of course, yeah, I sort of, I'm happy to sit back and chill for seven months. I've got other things to do, but make sure, you know, you honor this. So that was my first step, that exam. And I won't forget that exam ever. That was the hardest exam I ever did in my life. And Pav, um, how things are today in 2022, soon to be 2023, the world has changed so much where you can't behave in a certain way. If you did things like that today, you'd be accused of bullying. For example, in that examination, what they said was in the hallway um, foyer of of that college, what it says is, when we announce your candidate number, please step forward. In other words, Pav, if they don't announce your candidate number, you didn't make it. Yeah. And in front of everybody, they just said, and so, you know, there must be a hundred of us in that room minimum. And the first number is 11. Yes. So you look around the room, you can identify 10 people and some who are already in tears. So this is no joke because we've yeah. got people there who have come from the Asian subcontinent, uh, from the African subcontinent, just to get this exam so they can progress in their careers. Um, and when I spoke to these people, I said, listen, you know, you're not allowed to work unless you have this exam. How are you getting by? Oh, we work um, at McDonald's. You know, we hustle there. You know, we work at KFC. You know, uh, I work as a postal worker. because, uh, And I'm thinking, okay, this is just heartbreaking hearing these stories. And these people are sitting outside the building crying. Because obviously they've had to fly over. They're staying in some low-level bedsit. They're doing these jobs to survive, and then it doesn't work out yet. Maybe they get it on the second or third attempt. 
So that was the first hurdle I got through, and then from there moved forwards, and then got into the orthodontic program at um, Guy's um, and Canterbury hospitals. I was working between two, um, and you know, traveling back and forth for three years. Uh, I did my membership in orthodontics examination. Um, and I was informed by the head of department I passed comfortably. I didn't win the gold medal, um, but I passed comfortably. Um, and then basically I thought, you know what, this isn't enough for me. Um, I'm ambitious. Uh, I love learning. I'm very self-critical. And I think in our games, Pav, for you to push yourself, the harshest critic is you. It's not me. It's you. Yeah. It's, it's you that has to prove something to you, right? And if you're not 100%. happy with your work... There's nothing I can say about it to make you feel good. You're not happy. What you're going to be thinking is how do I improve this next time and how do I raise my game? It's an internal thing, right? Um, and that's, uh, you know, some kind of pride we have, yeah? That's some kind of self-pride. You can't teach that. You don't learn it in a, in a university. You can't read it in a book. That's something you have inside of you to be even better, you know, today. So in other words, you can never stand still. If you're standing still, because I'm a big boxing fan yeah Vitaly Klitschko says you're actually moving backwards if you're standing because time keeps moving forwards okay yeah. a year later you have actually moved backwards because everyone's come forwards a bit so you can never you can never stop and even if you move just an inch a year you're still progressing yeah so I I, I truly have that mindset so um, as soon as I got my MORTH I thought right well, this ain't enough I need to do more Next level, okay, consultant training. That's another two and a half years of my life. And obviously your salary isn't what it could be compared to your colleagues who are out in practice. So that's the other sacrifice you're making. Um, and then I worked at Guy's and Bournemouth. Again, traveled between the two, long commutes. Um, and then I sat my consultant exam. And there were about 12 of us. We had to fly up to Scotland to do the exams for a couple of days. Um and lo and behold, out of 12 of us, I got effectively the gold medal. I was first in the country. Um, nice. And it was a nice feeling, yeah, when you're sitting in front of these examiners. Um, because I, I don't know about your original background before, guys, but I'm, I mean, you know, I grew up in poverty, basically. So I'm really just a street guy. I'm not someone, uh, you know, who ever went to... Um, a prep school or a boarding school. There was no silver spoon. In in our family, it was a wooden spoon, yeah? One wooden spoon yeah. that everyone uses to eat. You cook with that, you eat with that. That's how we grew yeah. up. So we were, you know, kind of street people, really. Um, and it was a nice feeling when you're sitting in front of these examiners, Pav, and they're just firing questions on you, and you're firing them back, and they've got nothing left to say to you. It was like yeah. a tennis match. I just, just you know, just rattled it off. Um, and, you know, with the acronyms I'd learned, you know, there was stuff that had just come out a few days before, um, and they didn't even know about it. And, you know, and they're firing acronyms. I'm thinking, hang on, pal, you got the acronyms the wrong way around, but I'm not going to correct you in an exam. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it go, but don't make that mistake again. Yeah. But <laughs> so, so basically, yeah, then afterwards the exam, they just said, yeah, look, you, there were three sections, clinical, um, management, uh, and research. and you got the maximum marks you can get is an eight. The lowest is a three. You need a six to pass. You need three sixes, and you cannot mm. compensate. You need three sixes all the way. And they go, you've yeah. got two eights and a seven. Um, <laughs> so they go, basically, you've dropped one mark in the whole exam. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I dropped the one mark, and I thought even that was harsh because I thought, come on, guys. 
give me a break. I thought, I've just shown you a class three malocclusion with hyperdontia. She's missing yeah. a lateral incisor. The other lateral incisor is peg-shaped. She's got a reverse overjet. She's got a facial asymmetry, so the midlines are off. And I've yeah. treated that in two and a half years with the orthodontics. The surgery was done, and the bridge was fitted for the lateral incisor, and the peg lateral was built up with composite. And yeah. they go, yeah, but your millimeter's out. Um, your midline's out by a millimeter. And I said, come on, guys, give me a break here. I mean, you know, uh, she's, you know, from where she started to where she's ended up. But obviously, they've got to find something, right? You know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's the name of the game. Yeah. But either way, I mean, as soon as that happened, then they're all offering me jobs in their hospital departments. And then, uh, you know, from there, um, I'd already published, I'd presented at conferences. Um, I was always a bit odd in saying, right, you know, I make things personal because when you make something personal, Pav, like for example, before I joined you on this podcast today, I did a little Google on you. Yeah. I did a little Google on you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah. I still see you looking as, as handsome as ever on the internet with your picture and everything, and it's got your background there. But the one thing I really like that stood out in my mind, it says, you know, placing implants is a personal decision for me because yeah. this is what my grandfather said to me. Uh, and I thought, wow, a statement like that from a close family member actually changed your life. It actually changed your course of destiny. That's why I'm so passionate about teaching as well. Because it's it's part it's part of the same promise, you know. It's uh, <clears throat> so that, that's why that's why I love to teach. That's that's why I love doing this. That's why, <clears throat> like you live and breathe orthodontics, I live and breathe um, uh, uh, implants as well. Um, I just I just can't get enough of it. Um, so yeah, it's it's I, I I think for those listening in at the moment, I think you get you get the idea that Sonil knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> so what is- we're gonna do. This is two heavyweights here tonight having a having a slugfest. This is Joe Fraser and Muhammad Ali. You know, this is another you know thriller in Manila. You know, we've got <laughs> we've got two guys that have you know because I've got a lot of you know love and respect for you, um, and and you are and you are the real deal and you are a heavyweight because a guy who is if I use the word if I'm if I'm out of order tell me but a guy who's more or less obsessed with dental implants, you know, I have to take my hat off too because that's a sacrifice, you know. You could have dropped out at any stage. You could have decided to become a generalist and do a bit of everything, but you but you made a decision and said, "No. I'm going to focus on one area and I'm going to and I'm going to follow this through." Um and also, like your um bio that I read tonight on Google, you're a movie fan just like me. But I, but I love the action movies. Yeah, I love. Yeah, so I'm a Netflix fan. Like you, I could watch Netflix. In fact, after this, I'm watching Netflix because there's a Denzel Washington movie I want to see. He's one of my favorite actors. Which which yeah, one is so, it? Uh, it's an old one. I haven't seen it before. It's called John Q. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a good film. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it yet, so I'm, I'm about to find out later. But. Um, I just lost the video there, but I can hear you. Yeah, it's, it's just because your internet's a little bit weak, so it cuts your video off, but it'll keep recording the audio, so there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Yeah. You think the Hilton could so, do so better, now, don't you? Yeah. So, so now I've got some <laughs> questions now for you, okay? Yeah, go for it. Um, uh, so orthodontics and dental implants, I think they're separated quite a lot, 
And I have a theory as to why, because they're both relatively expensive treatments. So when you combine them, um, the, the, the cost for the patient goes up more. Um, that said, there are a lot of cases where I am wanting to help a patient. Patients come in to see me, they either need a teeth removed or they've got a handful of teeth uh, missing already and, the, and they want, um, uh, and they want uh, uh, implants putting in. I'm looking at it going, I, I, I physically can't do this because I haven't got the space. Um, or the other thing that I get is I, I sometimes I get um, colleagues who send me PAs, Pav, how am I supposed to restore this? And, and my, my response to it is really, really easy. I said, look, the implant's in a great place, phenomenal place. You just don't have enough space. Send it to an orthodontist, get them to open it up. You know, a lot of this should have been diagnosed beforehand before the implant went in place. Yeah. And in my in my earlier days, I had a lot of cases where I put the implant and then I couldn't get the restoration on because I hadn't assessed it properly. Or you end up putting the implant in, putting a restoration on, but the patient's having a massive food trap um, be, because uh, adjacent teeth have tilted in. And we see it all the time. You know, lower six yeah. has been missing, four or five years goes down the line, seven's yep. tilted forward, and all of a sudden the patient wants an implant. Um, and, uh, sometimes it's, if it, if it's only a little bit of drift, you can just flatten off that contact with a high speed, but other times you, we, we need to have orthodontics. And I think, so Mike, so the, the questions I have for you is, is firstly, where, where do you feel that, that orthodontics, uh, really comes into its own strength, uh, in optimizing, um, uh, uh, uh implant, uh, therapy. And in addition to that, is another big aspect which is grossly underappreciated and underutilized is what I is what we term ortho osteogenesis, where you move a tooth through a position to generate bone. So you know, I think that, that a lot of the uh, listeners would be appreciative if you could give us your thoughts with regards to that. Yeah. So okay. So the first question. Um... The role of orthodontics, really. So, it's it's one that, as you say, you appreciate with time and experience. Um, and it's interesting that when you lose a tooth, you you know you get these side effects. Pav, you know you get drifting of teeth, tilting. You get rolling of teeth as well. You get space loss. Um, so before um, any kind of treatment is is actually performed, I. I obviously believe in a thorough diagnosis. That patient ideally has to be you know, disease-free. Any perio should be stabilized as much as possible. Any caries should be stabilized. You know, um, and you know the full examinations, including uh, the radiographs and other diagnostics, have all been done. Um, and then from there, my other philosophy is is that all treatment plans, and I learned this from Frank Spear, uh, the guru uh, in America. Uh, that all treatment plans are restoratively driven. So that means even even me, I'm not the main player. Uh, I, I assist uh, in, in trying to achieve the goals of treatment because obviously the goals of treatment are to achieve good aesthetics and good function, yeah? You know, you yeah. always aim for those things. You know, they're the two branches of dentistry. You know, regardless of what you're in, you know, you're always trying to get those goals. So... I would say to someone who's starting out in, in the field of implant dentistry, you know, don't just think implants, just think, you know, try and think 20 years ahead. If this patient ever wants ortho after the implants are put in, it could be really difficult. And I've had that happen to me as well. 
where, you know, the patient now says, right, okay, you know, fix it. And I'm thinking, well, I can't because you've got multiple implants everywhere. I can't move teeth here and there. I can't, I've, I don't have the space. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're not going to do something crazy, like remove the implants um, and, you know, trefine them out and, and deal with the consequences from there. So wherever possible, if you're trying to get a beautiful result, yes, you would need dental implants to restore function and aesthetics if you're missing teeth, if it's clinically possible. But you also want the arches to be well aligned. You want a, um, a good overjet, a good overbite, because the other problem I found in dentistry as well is deep overbites are horrendous. They damage your good work. Yeah, when you've got these horrendous, you know, powerful masseters and you've got these deep uh, overbites where the incisors have over-erupted, you know, smashing up on your newly restored teeth, they just cause havoc. And again, you know, um, it was one of Frank Spears' colleagues, uh, another chap in the States, Gary DeWood, um, who's with the Spear Academy, goes that we always like, you know, light contact on the teeth. Anteriorly, we like light contact. We don't want heavy contacts. So again, you know, that's where I think orthodontics is wonderful. It can help intrude um, teeth that are over-erupted, for example, um, a deep overbite. It can upright teeth, you know, especially when you want to put implant fixtures in. When you have these tilted teeth, as you say, you can remove a little bit of enamel. You can do some enamel plastic, but there are limits, Pav. You can't just keep yeah. going like that, you know. And, and again, it might Absolutely. become a compromise. Um, that could insert, you know, the angle that you place your fixture. It could make the restorative treatment more difficult you know, when you've got to do the implant-supported crown. So I think ortho is, is, a, is a great nugget. With the implantologists I've worked with, what they've said is, although your work takes the longest, it takes years, and ours is less time compared to you, you make us look good. Yeah, because basically yeah. Um, you're the – defender or the midfielder you're not the striker you, you know we're the strikers and they always tell me that yeah the implant guys always say you know we're the strikers don't forget it yeah you know like you know the patients love us more because when we give them these teeth you know they're just yeah. over the moon yeah they've forgotten about you you you, <laughs> you know you did your bit you got paid and you right. and, and you gone yeah and i'm thinking all right man yeah thanks yeah i, I know my place but um I think I think if you get the best out of all these, you know, different areas, I think I've always believed you get a synergistic effect. You truly get, you know, I, the sum of the whole is more than you know all of the singular parts. Um, it happens every time. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to uh, go back to, which is something that you uh, said earlier as well, is these deep overbite cases. Because these cases trip you up really, really quickly as, a, as, a, as an implant surgeon. So yeah. with these cases, you quite often get it's the upper central or upper lateral, which is sheared off at gum level. And you're looking at it and you're going, ah, you know what, this is a slam dunk case, but you're not looking at the opposing arch because you haven't got the space there to restore anything. You know, you're looking at it and you're going, yeah, you know, peril is pretty good. There's plenty of bone in there. We're going to do socket shield or whatever it is we're going to do. We're going to do an immediate placement. And it all goes absolutely beautifully, you know, is you take your, you take your PA implants in a perfect position and it comes to restore. And um, there's just no space for your restorative material at all. And I've been tripped up by this when I was younger. And what ended up happening was um, you end up having to make big compromises in that, you end up having to make an all metal palatal surface 
because that's the only material that you can kind of like get down thin enough. Um, and uh, or the other thing that you're uh, that 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 ends up happening is is even though you've got an all metal plate or surface, the, you, the screw access is so short you can't you can't cover it properly. So can you go into these deep overbite cases, kind of like what we should be looking out for? In addition to what we should be looking out for is if we refer out to an orthodontist, what we should be asking them to do. And as an orthodontist, is there a quick fix to this or is it just, sorry, comprehensive ortho, that's the only option? Yeah, so, I mean, I see deep overbites every day. And, of course, I see them in children, you know, because, as you know, I treat um, a wide age range uh, and even in children you know classic signs are early signs of you know tooth wear you see it you know with uh, the chip lower incisors you know you see the palatal wear of the upper incisors uh, you know you see some soft tissue loss um, so early obvious signs but for me what is gospel is that most patients within Europe have a class two malocclusion more prevalent than class one more prevalent than than class three path in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and most of those class two patients will either have a, um, an increased overjet or an increased overbite. So I'm expecting to find it every time I look in someone's mouth. So I would say if you can level, if you can level the lower arch, i.e. it's what we call the curve of speed, curve of speed, curve yeah. of speed. If you can level that as much as possible, which means you need lower incisor intrusion and you need premolar and molar extrusion, you get a flat line or you, or you flatten that curve. And that is the basis of your orthodontics because you've, yeah. you've now aligned one arch. If you can align the other arch and you can get a good occlusion because that's the other thing orthodontists sometimes, you know, they don't think about. It's not about as uh, I'm sure I've, I'm sure I heard, um, you know, Tipton say it as well, you know, on, I think he said on Facebook, you know, he gets tired with orthodontists that give him lovely static occlusion, looks great in photos, everything's touching, but he, he's not interested in that. He's interested in the dynamic occlusion, what's yeah. happening in, you know, real life, yeah? And so I think um, if, 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 you can, if you can look for the signs and expect that overbite needs to be resolved. Now, your question was, can it be done quickly? The answer is no. Aligners can't do it quickly. A fixed appliance can't do it quickly. Out of all three methods of a labial fixed appliance, a lingual fixed appliance, and clear aligners, generally there's only three types in the marketplace. The mm. lingual appliance works the fastest because the brackets are lingual, the archwise lingual, and the, and, and the force is going directly through the center of resistance of the lower incisor. So right. if you imagine that, you know, this is my lower incisor, the force is going almost directly through. So you get yeah. almost pure intrusion. And it happens within like, you know, three to six months. I'm impressed in an adult where you've got these horrendous overbites that with a lingual appliance, you can do it like that. With a labial yeah. appliance, it takes far longer because the teeth are not intruded vertically. They're also proclined. And sometimes you don't want that. Well, if they're you know, missing some soft tissue here, do you want more recession? You know, so that you've got to be careful with. And aligners is very hard because um, deep bite correct, it can be done, but you need to go through many aligners, yeah? You know, it's what we call refinements. You know, yeah. the first batch, you know, didn't give you everything, so you've got to go through round two, sometimes round three. Then it gets a bit frustrating for the patient because they're saying, 
this is going on and on and on and I'm changing these aligners, you know. Um, so it gets quite hard, yeah? So yeah. I think um, overbite correction is, you know, key to restorative success. So you make the space that way. You intrude. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. And I've got some patients where... Um, uh, uh, where I've turned around and said to him, look, with, without, without orthodontics, I cannot do your treatment for you. And I've had other cases, uh, particularly, like I said, you know, if um, uh, like if the patient's got a premolar missing and like the, 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 the molars are tipped in a little bit and you, you just haven't got, I turn around and say to the patients that, look, go, go, go to see an orthodontist, right? And either get them to open up a space or the other thing that it speaks to your orthodontist, whether instead of opening up, they can just close it all down. I said, yes, Correct. cosmetically, a little bit of a compromise. I said, but it might actually be the best thing. To, I said, that's a conversation you need to have with the orthodontist. So sometimes as an implant surgeon, you've got to think, well, not only as an implant surgeon, mate, is whatever we do, it has to be restoratively driven. And even though we don't operate as uh, I don't operate as an orthodontist, you don't operate as, a, as an implant surgeon. It still means that I need to understand the basics of what can be done with orthodontics in relation to implants, right? You need and to me know. Too. You're getting- yeah, you, you need to know how orthodontics fits into implants. That, that's how we look after our patients the best. So, uh, sorry, folks, the answer to reducing a deep bite quickly is no. <laughs> um, uh, but we've also heard that it can it can be done quicker with a lingual appliance. Um, so, you know, for, for those patients who want kind of like a, a, a quicker result, you know, that's something that you can say to them that, look, you know, you can do this faster with a lingual appliance. So you're going to need to see a specialist. And, you know, if, if, if that's what the patient wants, then that's what the patient wants. I can't yeah. stress enough that there, there's a difference between I can do this and it's going to be tricky versus I'm, I'm not prepared to, 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 to do this. Okay. If it's I can do this and it, but it's going to be tricky, that's a conversation you can have with the patient. Right. But if it's like 100% deep, uh, 100% overbite and you haven't got any space at all, a completely different conversation you've got to have with the patient. Then the, then the conversation is I can't, I physically can't do anything unless this is done. Completely agree. And, it, and as you say, it always comes down to, managing the patient's expectations i don't know about you mate but for the last 20 years i've witnessed those expectations creep up and up and up and our game is not like amazon prime yeah you know we can't make you know next day delivery nor can we serve you um, a mcdonald's meal where where we've cooked that food in bulk and it will be ready to you know dish out any minute now you know we don't work like that you know your game is is not like that either we're dealing with, you know, the patient's biology and you're dealing with, you know, people and, and, and their, their anxieties and, you know, whether it's clinical or, you know, whether it's financial or whatever. So, you know, this is um, not an easy field, you know, for you and I to be involved with. Um, no. and, and we have to be honest as well. I've got patients that it's, it's funny, Pav, because after all these years, I'm actually saying no to more and more patients. Um, and sometimes it's not because I can't do it clinically. I can do a fair amount clinically. I've got a tremendous amount of, um, self-belief in my abilities because I've traveled all over the world like you seeking out the best people. But sometimes I think to myself, I'm not going to get on well with this patient. If you and I can't be friends with a patient, there's no point starting Pav, because it don't work. 
completely agree. And this is this is something that uh, you know when when we first met. This is something that older colleagues were because I was young back then. Is um, is you still are, man. What, <laughs> this is what a lot of older colleagues were saying to me. It's like you know what is don't be bullied into treatment and don't and don't do treatment just because you need the money. Um, but the flip side of that is I, I think I think that that that's easier said when you don't have the money pressures. So when you got the money pressures, yeah. it's also different as well, right? But yeah. I also agree. I get a lot of patients where. Um, and it's just a personality conflict. It may be that, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not the easiest of people to get on with, right? But I'm damn passionate about what I do. Um, and there are certain personality types that don't get on with me, and that's fine. And sometimes I turn around and say to the patients, I don't think I'm the right person to help you. Here, let me give you somebody else's number. Knowing yeah. that knowing that this other person is going to be a, 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 good, a good personality match for them. And I think I you're think right. I think you're right. It's really, really important. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I didn't have that ability over a decade ago because I was too eager to please everybody. And really, what it is is, for who you are and the skill sets you have, you fit with a certain percentage of the population. You won't get a hundred percent. You can't be everyone's personality type. Yeah. You'll fit. You'll click with a certain percentage. There'll yeah. equally be a group of people out there. No matter how passionate you are, how good you are, they will think you're the world's worst dentist. No yeah. matter what you do for them, they you will not hit that level of satisfaction. And if you can't do it, the chances are, I bet, have no one else can do it. You know, that's I mean, I mean that's what my money's on. It's not yeah. you, it's them. Yeah, yeah. you know, because, and I bet you because these people are full of secrets. You're not the first clinician they've seen either. They've got a whole yeah. folder where they've been yeah. here, 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 and here. And you can spot it in their body language. And some of them are open and say, yeah, you know, you're the 10th person. Uh, some of them won't say anything, but they're just highly, highly knowledgeable, which is just unusual. Yeah. Um, and you think, okay, fine. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't think I'm the right guy for you. And it's really important you find someone that you can gel with because this treatment goes on for a number of years. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and so I learned this, I mean, the thing is I learned this the hard way, like you, you know, I took on people I shouldn't have treated and, uh, it was, it was messy at the end, you know, I, although, you know, fantastic clinical results, the patient was just an absolute nightmare. They were unpleasant and, you know, and, and they make all sorts of threats. Um, and that, you know, that's fine. I mean, that's why we have indemnity, but we don't yeah. need those hassles. But then what I learned from a prosthodontist was look, you know, let it go. If you spot the red flags early on, and you know, yeah. ideally at the beginning, if you can, not when you treat them and it's too late, you know, yeah. obviously give your reason why you you don't believe you're the best person for them. Um, yeah. And as soon as they walk out the door, I guarantee you the next new patient's coming in, and you'll have forgotten about them. Absolutely. So here's, um, here's uh, uh, something that I say to patients a lot when I feel that they're being uh, unreasonable. And then based upon their, it normally works for me. Um, and again, this works for my personality type, just, just because of the way that I am. You know, when a patient's like, oh, um, you know, when you're speaking to patients, you're talking about pros and cons of implants, you say, oh, you know, there's a 1% risk that the implant's going to be rejected. There's this risk, there's that risk. When they turn around and say, 
no, I need everything finished within two weeks because I've got to be somewhere. I'm not prepared to take any risk because, uh, 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 you know, I'm not prepared to take any risk of the implant failing. I'm not prepared to, to, or, you know, you know, just when they're being unreasonable, I just turn around and say to them, I say, look, I said, I'm damn good at what I do, but I'm not a genie. You know, I can't grant these wishes to you. No. If you want me to, you know, if you if you want me to do it, I promise you, I, I will do my very best that I can for you. This is what will probably happen. But if you're expecting no hiccups whatsoever, I said I'm not the right person for you. And most people go, oh no, no, I was, I was just, I was just. Quite often they're just blowing steam because because quite often they're nervous. They just want a little bit of reassurance. Yeah, I mean, I think I think some are nervous, and I also think some are um, not um, of of a si- um, sound mind i think you know yeah. we have got those patients out there uh who are um obsessive compulsive disorder or body dysmorphic disorder i've had those patients yeah. um and effectively i cannot spend all my time managing just a few of those patients in my right. clinic when i've got so many other patients to equally look after and care for and Absolutely. so i've made the decision with my team saying right if we get uh, any um, unusual phone calls or things are just not right, we may not follow up that lead because really, um, you know, it, it's, it's not going to work well in our favor. Yeah, you know, we have to, you know, work with these people like they've got to work with us. It's a two-way yeah. relationship. Um, yeah. And as you say, you know, if it's not going to work, cut your losses early on. If you have to yeah. refund um, a small, you know, um, if you have to refund the small consult fee in, in relation to the overall cost of treatment, do it. Um, and yeah. just think, fine, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I learned something there. I met one person. Um, that was a near miss. Uh, good thing we didn't go any further. Absolutely. You know? um, yeah. And it's taken me all these years, Pav, just to realize that. Before, I'd look at it as a failure. I'd look at it like, well, I, I let that one get away, and it was worth you know, so it's much you know, you know, revenue and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. Look, as long as you make enough – and you're covering all overheads, and you've and, and you've covered yourself. That's fine, um, yeah. you know. So okay. So the second part of your question: when there isn't enough bone, um, you know, what do you do? Okay, fine. Well, as you well, I'm not going to tell you about um, surgical augmentation because you could talk all day on that. Um, but the other alternative is orthodontic augmentation. Now, if you can close the space. Fine, and I've done that before where a couple of my implant friends have said, Oi, you know, you've just diddled me out of an implant here. You know, the plan was you do the orthodontics uh, and I'm going to put in three implants. That was the goal. Uh, It looks like now you've closed two of the spaces and you've left me one implant. And I said, Okay, you know, know, um, you know, sometimes if the patients have less dentistry, the better, right? There's less to look after, there's less to go wrong. And if I can do it orthodontically, I'll try and close the space if the patient agrees uh, and they consent. But the other thing, uh, you know, that I've been doing for years is the orthodontic ridge augmentation technique where supposing, I don't know, uh, a patient's missing um, a lower lateral incisor. It was, it was traumatized. It was knocked out. And after 20 years, basically, you've got severe atrophy. There is no proper cortex. You know, you've lost that. You're not going to get a fixture in there easily. Uh, So what some dentists have said is, right, well, can you get the central and move it to the canine? So you put it in the lateral that's been knocked out, and you you leave the central space open for me, and I'll restore that. And I've done that, and and they've got a beautiful fat ridge. 
but they absolutely love that, you know, to get their fixture in. Um, and I've done that in the lower arch. I've done it for um, pre, in the premolar region in both arches. I've done it, you know, when you're missing upper laterals, you know, you move the central and canine, you move it back again. But for those patients, Pav, they need to be well-informed, yeah? They need to – they must be able to consent to this, saying, okay, you're going to spend a very long time doing this treatment where overall I should get a better result and I don't want a bone graft but you say you can orthodontically move the teeth and that should eliminate or reduce the need for a bone graft. Yeah, I'll have that. Or you can actually uh, extrude teeth and you can give me, you know, better gingival margins and all sorts of things or intrude teeth, you know, whatever you need to do. I've had those patients I've treated uh, and generally they've done very well. Equally, I've had some patients saying, no, I can't handle that. It's too long or, you know, the cost involved you know, with all you guys involved here, um, or um, I'm not going to feel comfortable whilst you're moving an upper tooth in the aesthetic zone and there are spaces forming on the other side. How are you going to mask these spaces? You know, how's it going to look? You know, because it's going to affect my mental health, you know, and I've said, okay, look, uh, in that case, this treatment isn't for you. You need to go to, you know, the next level, and that will be, you know, to talk to the implantologist uh, or the restorative team and see what they could do. They may have to compromise. Here. The magic word in life here is compromise, right, Pav? There is yeah. no such thing as perfection. Equally, with all the implant guys I've ever worked with, none of them say an implant will last you for 100 years. Not, not, not Because nobody can promise such a ridiculous statement like that. You know, what they say is, well, you've lost the best set of teeth you ever had, your natural teeth. What I'm giving you is an artificial replacement. I will do my best uh, in, in the world of today with the current technology and all the skills and knowledge I have, but I cannot make you a guarantee that this will, you know, never have any issues and will go on for decades, you know? Yeah. You know, and I just think, as you say, it's managing those expectations. Yeah. So, Neil, next question for you. Um, again, and let's talk anterior aesthetic zone, okay? So uh, quite often we get these cases where the patients had uh, endodontics and they, uh, let, let's say they've got restorative breakdown. So the, 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 endos, the endo has worked. There's no periapical lesion around it, um, but the tooth is on its last legs just because it's, it's fractured at, at, at gingival level. But let's say we can get some sort of temporary crown on, on there. And the, the cases that really worry me as an implant surgeon are those cases where you do CBCT and in the cross-section, the labial plate is really, really thin because that's not alveolar bone, that's bundle bone. And when you take that tooth out, all of, the, all of that bone is going to disappear. So the options then become, wait for it to disappear, you put in the implant and you graft at the same time. Um, although I don't see the point of that. I'm, I'm, of the, I'm, I'm of the mentality, if it's going to disappear, raise a flap, get rid of it, and just augment it at the same time. Why are you wasting the patient's time, okay? The other alternative is what we call socket shield technique, uh, which I'm going to come on to on another podcast. But is it possible for these cases to extrude these teeth and uh, bring the alveolar bone with it? What type of result would we expect if we yeah, did extrude? Yeah, so you can extrude the teeth and you can generate vertical alveolar bone. Of course, alveolar bone is the best bone. It will be any kind of synthetic material, hands down. 
Um, so you can, if the tooth is already devitalized, you can extrude it orthodontically with a fixed appliance or whatever uh, and keep shaving the tooth down incisally uh, until there's virtually nothing left and the, and the tooth is grade three mobile. Th then you hand it over to your implant colleague because they will just take out that tooth in two seconds and they should be able to place a fixture in there. Or if they did need to graft, the graft will be a lot less than they were anticipating. Um, so I've done that before as well. <coughs> can you move bone peaks with that as well? Can you move bone peaks with that? With vertical, with, 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 if you're extruding a tooth, if, if, I'm, if I'm assessing a case and it's like high smile line and the bone peak's not in the right position, I'm looking at it going, this is going to be a real nightmare. So with the extrusion, does the, do the bone peaks extrude with it as well, or is that genetically predetermined? No, I, I don't think you can change that. I don't think, but I think you know, what you can do is basically as you, as you extrude the tooth, you can generate vertical bone and the soft tissue follows it as well. And that's as far as you can go because you're yeah. moving a tooth in one dimension. Um, so that's all you're doing. You're basically generating a better ridge. Um, okay. You know, anything else, um, it, it won't be possible in, in the scope of orthodontics. Last question from my perspective now as well, because this is something that I see all of the time, where the six has been missing and the, 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 the seven's tipped in behind it. You know, what, 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 type, what type of solutions do we have there? So the upper sixes have, are missing, or the lower let's sixes. Say, let, 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 let's say, let, let's say the, let, so there's two more scenarios I want to cover with you, okay? I mean, they're both relating to the same one. Let's say the lower six is gone, okay? And the seven's uh, tilted mesially, and or the upper six has over-erupted as well. Yeah, then it's our good old friend in the world of orthodontics called skeletal anchorage. Um, and that was one of the things you alluded to when we um, were texting each other 36 hours ago, because this uh, podcast is off the cuff. It was not organized weeks ago. That's, you know, that's the truth. You know, um, you, know you play something on, on social media, and I have to give you credit that you're always working. You're all, you never stop. Uh, and that's the sign of a, of a true professional, basically, you know, someone who's just who's on their game. So I responded to that, basically, and I, I told you what I think of, you know. So um, if, if you've got these complicated malocclusions, the American Association of Orthodontists, which is the world's biggest healthcare group, even bigger than the medical side, plastic surgery, all of them, they have between fifteen to 20,000 people every year attending their annual conference. They put out a survey some years ago, and they said in the last 25 years, what do you think the biggest breakthrough in orthodontics is? Uh, is it digital? Is it aligners? Is it this? And the answer was skeletal anchorage, because what that's done is you can take a really complex malocclusion with all these problems you've just described and you yeah. can simplify them for the next guy in the chain, which could be you, and you've just made that person's life easier. And you and and by doing so, you may have improved the outcome for that patient. Yeah. yeah. If I give, if I make your life as easy as possible, then you can only be pleased with me because if you're, if all your outcomes go as planned and the patient's over the moon, everything just is a tick box for you. Everything just clicks. Yeah. So in that case where you have a tilted six, you know, what I've actually done is um, if you've got a tilted seven, rather, okay, what I've actually done is I use mini implants or mini screws 
and they've been around a long time you know, restoratively as a, as a temporary prosthesis, right? You know, to replace lateral incisors. You know, you can put in these um, 11, 12 millimeter, you know, mini screws or mini implants, uh, and you can build up a, a peg lateral and composite uh, whilst the definitive dental implant is going to go in at some point. So we've been using these in orthodontics. The South Koreans came up with this over 25 years ago, and it's changed our lives. So I would, what I've actually done is I've got two mini implants, and I've put them in into the bone, and I will almost sort of um, angle the mini implants so they kind of mimic roots. Yeah. And I leave the head sticking out. I will then sandblast the top. I will then use a metal primer and I will build up a molar crown. Yeah, I've yeah. now got a molar crown in the region of the sixth space. And I'll mm-hmm. put a bracket on that buckley pav. And once I grab, as I've got my arch wire going through there, I've grabbed the seven and I'm now uprighting the seven and I've got control of the tooth. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, now, I'm actually using skeletal anchorage to upright a second molar so yeah. a first molar implant can go in. And if the upper seven has over-erupted, what I also then do, because, because you mentioned in the podcast, you know, let's talk about um, ortho implants. Um, so we can't exclude using implants or mini implants mm-hmm. um, to aid orthodontic anchorage. So in the upper arch, I will put in two palatal mini implants. They're generally nine millimeters long. Uh, it's just under two millimeters in width um, or, or diameter. Uh, and I'll put them in the anterior part of the palate uh, from first premolar to first premolar. It's what we call the T-zone. That anterior mm-hmm. part is the best bone because there are no major structures there. And I learned mm-hmm. this um, you know, from my time in Germany. And then I'll make um, an appliance. We call it a mousetrap. It literally looks like a mousetrap appliance. And you're intruding the molars, you know, bit by bit. You can either do unilateral or bilateral if you've got over-eruption on both sides. And I'll actually intrude the molars, you know, again, using skeletal anchorage. And it works a treat. If you don't want to do that, you can put in some buckle mini screws and palatal ones either side. uh, And you can intrude just using elastic chain. But the failure rate is is about 30%, whereas when you put them in the anterior part of the palate, the failure rate's about 5%, so I prefer the anterior palate. Yeah. So just to clarify, even with that lower uh, seven that you're uprighting, is you're not actually bracketing and putting everything on the full arch. You're literally using skeletal anchorage and just just moving the one uh, uh, just moving the one tooth, right? Yeah, you can do that. You can do a sectional fixed appliance. Why would you need the whole arch unless you plan... Right. To do other yeah. stuff. If you say, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna correct the rotated incisors. I've got the deep bite. I'm gonna tackle it all. Let's put on a full lower arch, you know, multi-band appliance." Fair enough. But if everything else is reasonable, there's nothing to stop you from just, you know, actually bracketing that six, which is a fake dummy tooth anyway, um, yeah. and picking up your seven, and you've got the world's smallest um, fixed appliance there, you know, <laughs> doing a localized job right, and it's it's yeah. it's almost invisible. Yeah. yeah, because because no, because not many people are yeah. going to see that. So yeah. you know, there's all sorts of tricks you can now do with skeletal anchorage. You know, using sectional um, mechanics. Uh, yeah. You could even do it with aligners as well, um, and you know, mini screws. So, but the problem is, 
not many orthodontists in the UK know much about mini screws. They may have read about something in their training or seen something in a textbook, but hands-on practical experience, there aren't many places in the UK that I personally rate because I think sometimes not all the answers lie in the UK. You've got to go overseas sometimes for your training. Um, yeah. And you were doing that long, long before. When I met you all those years ago, you were going back and forth to the US at that point. <laughs> Wait, there was a, I, remember, I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 2006. I did 10 trips to the US. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Your passport has just got them rubber stamps in, yeah? Because, because, but that's a sign of someone who's really dedicated. Basically, you are prepared to do what it takes to get that information because you want to learn it and you want to offer it to your patients so you can offer the best care possible. Now, not all that's clinicians are the same, Pav. Not all clinicians are. I, I also believe that. Not everyone is the same. I think those that have invested um, a lot of time um, a lot of effort and a lot of um, finance into their training. I think they probably go a little bit further than someone who who's done the bare minimum. You know, I think that's a fair, obvious statement, uh, yeah. and it might be reflected in the clinical outcomes as well. So I had to learn about skeletal anchorage from the South Koreans, and I spent time out there. Um, and there were a couple of professors that mentored me because you know they're the masters, uh, and I spent time um, in Dusseldorf, Germany learning about that from another professor who was head of department there. Um, and after that, it just changed my game. You know, yeah. when people were asking me to do the most, you know, if you thought I was doing crazy things when you saw me present all those years ago, you know, if, if I had time or if I could show you what I'm up to, people would, I think you, I, th I think you, I think your TMJs would actually dislocate. I think, I think I think we need to arrange to go out for dinner, something like that, mate. Because I want I want to see the stuff that you're doing. Because I remember looking at it back then, just going, Whoa, I didn't even know this stuff was possible. That if you're telling me that that's old hat and you're doing it, no, that's crazy. old school, man. That's old school. That's like you know, that's like 1980s, you know, rap music. Yeah, that's all. I've taken this thing to Star Trek. Hey, nothing wrong with 80s rap music. <laughs> you're right, man. You're was from the 80s okay you're absolutely right you're absolutely right I, I remember those groups yeah i used to listen to them as a kid and uh, as a first year you know university student yeah we had all them groups you know ice cube ice tea all of them yeah nwa um, yeah 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 you know we had some we had some really good groups there um but yeah so 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 now um i'm, I'm doing i'm i'm also doing um skeletal anchorage in children yeah. And that might seem odd because if someone's got a narrow maxilla, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, the maxilla now has been linked, okay, with the airway. Uh, and I knew this would happen because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if, if, if someone's got obstructive sleep apnea, you know, what they're saying is if the mandible comes forwards, either surgically uh, or it's assisted orthodontically, it can open up the airway. And sometimes, you know, the snoring or their sleep quality can improve, not guaranteed, yeah. but it can help. Um, so what we're finding as well with you know with the maxilla sometimes if it can be expanded and it comes forwards, it can mm. also assist. So with children, I'm doing something called MARPI, you know, mini screw assisted rapid palatal expansion. I'm mm. doing that in adults, but I'm doing it in children because what I want is I want genuine bone ball expansion. I want the maxilla yeah. to skeletally get wider. I don't want to just push teeth out, uh, uh, you know, out of the cortex. You know that that is pointless for me. Um, yeah. You know, where you, because all you're doing is pushing teeth. Yeah, I want you know real expansion. So again, we will place these TADs, temporary anchorage devices, either two mm -hmm. of them or four of them, and we'll expand. 
Um, and again, you get aesthetically better results, but I also think functionally you get a better occlusion. Interesting stuff, man. But that's Interesting. A, I mean, that's a talk for another time because I've got I've, I've presented that in a number of countries in the last six months. I I came up with something you know novel and pioneering. I think it was the world's first. It was the world's first um, bone-borne appliance that was digitally designed. So me, a MaxFax surgeon, uh, and a very passionate orthodontic technician uh, in Greece who's very good on um, digital software. We came up with this idea and we tried it and it, and it worked. Um, yeah. And then from there, I made a number of mistakes, but I documented the mistakes I made and how I yeah. overcame them. And then that then led to people uh, you know, inviting me to present my work, basically. So I had to present it to Turkey. I presented it to the Italian orthodontist, the Australian orthodontist. Um, next month, uh, the American um, orthodontists have got me booked for a webinar. So that's the AAO Society, which I'm a member of. Um, and, you know, they want to hear about it because it's quite fascinating. Yeah, I think, you know, I think orthodontists should not be afraid of actually using local anesthetic. I mean, for you, this is a joke, yeah? You, you know, when you hear that a dentist can't use local anesthetic, right? For you, it's an absolute joke. It's a, it's a travesty. It's got yeah. to be. But for me, uh, you know, I see orthodontists who uh, have not actually picked up a syringe in a long, long time. They don't know how to give local anymore. Therefore, they are unable to place mini screws or mini implants, um, and I just think, okay, you know, you're missing out here, guys, because if you can't solve this malocclusion or you're compromising it and you're saying to other people, I, I can't do that, I'm leaving it, well, you know, you've got to kind of look at your own abilities here, Pav. You know, how come others out there in certain parts of the world are doing it, but that individual can't? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think you get what you put in, basically. You know, I think, you know, I think if you put the effort in, I think you learn more skills. So... Yeah, I think Skleet Lankridge is, is, a, is, is, is a big deal. I'm combining that with aligners now. I'm combining that with lingual appliances. Um, and I seem to be getting cases where the first orthodontist or the second orthodontist or the third orthodontist has said, I can't help you. You know, you know we don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so they'll come knocking on my door and I'll say, okay, you know, leave it with me. I need to just get my thinking hat on and we're going to meet up again and we're going to go through this in a bit more detail. And I'll yeah. present my treatment plan to them, treatment plan one, treatment plan two, treatment plan three, and, and um, pros and cons or risks and benefits, and let them ultimately decide the patient um, and then help them as best as I can. But um, for that, I, I charge a lot higher fees. One thing I realize now as well, and I know this isn't related to uh, implantology, it's related to your survival as a dentist, is try not to be the cheapest guy in the area. You're just asking for trouble and you're just underselling and undervaluing yourself. You know, why is it that lawyers, you know, an ordinary high street solicitor who has an LLB, which is less than our training, by the way, can command fees of three to four hundred pounds an hour? You know, why is it dentists have to, you know, belittle their, you know, worth after all that training when we have much higher risks than um, solicitors? We've got indemnity cases, we've got regulators hanging over us. So, you know, why should we work for, you know, the lowest value of the pound? It doesn't exactly make correct. sense to me. Shouldn't, it shouldn't be market-driven. It should be patient-care-driven and reflective yeah. of, uh, of, of, of your skill set. Um, that, you know, and, that's, you know, and I've said this before. I get patients walking in through the door, waving uh, a treatment plan at me, 
saying, can you price match this? I just said, I say, so I'm not even going to look at it. I said, I said, even if my treatment plan's the same, I said, the only thing that I can guarantee you is I'm going to be more expensive than that piece of paper. I said, you know, I said, if you're looking for cheap, it's not me. You know, there are plenty of other people there to help you. I said, if you want me to do it, you pay me my fees. You know, yeah, but then absolutely. Like, and I respect like, that. Like, like, like you, I get a lot of patients who come to me where they're just like, you know, I've been told this isn't possible. It's like, it's possible. We'll do it. Um, well, so I, I think, I mean, I think as soon as you get a patient like that, okay, it's not about the clinical anymore. It just seems to have been, you know, devalued and de. I mean, it, it looks like the relationship started by basically how quickly or how cheaply they can acquire your services. Yeah. They're not looking at you, the team, the level of clinical care, you know, the level of service, all of that is thrown out yeah. the window. Um, yeah. And for me, that's very demotivating. It's very demoralizing. So just to recap a little bit what we discussed, uh, A, be careful of uh, deep overbites, and unfortunately there's no shortcut to treating those. Um, B, orthoosteogenesis is absolutely phenomenal, um, but it, again, it is, it's whether the patients are prepared to go through it. But what I would say is, is in certain cases, you're looking at a case going, this is impossible, then you think to yourself, actually, can this be done orthodontically? And from an orthodontic point of view, it's, a, it's actually relatively straightforward, and you're going to turn it from a nightmare case to an easy case. Yeah, um, if I can do that, I've done my job. Yeah. Uh, the next thing that we uh, spoke about is um, uh, uprighting teeth which have tipped using uh, uh, using skeletal anchorage, which is easier and uh, well not easy for me because I don't do it, but you know for somebody like with the skill set of, of Sunil, um, it, it's it's easier and faster than having to bracket everything because then everything's on the move. So if there is a localized problem, your orthodontist hopefully can deal with it locally and quite swiftly. And what I would say is I have had it before where I've warned patients of, and these are those borderline cases where I'm like, oh, I might get away with my one. Uh, I've warned patients about um, uh, food packing. And uh, there was even one case that springs to mind where the seven needed a crown anyway. And I said, look, let's do the implant. We can do the crown on the seven behind it and hopefully not have any issues. And it still bugged the patient because you just couldn't get the contours right because the teeth weren't at the correct angulation. Um, uh, so I think that's, that, that's, 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 that's a really uh, good way uh, to, to, to summarize everything with regards to uh, the orthodontics and implant interface. It, it's, it's basically the orthodontist can be your best friend and get you get, and, and, and take a nightmare case and make yeah. it actually really easy and straightforward for you. So, you know, we need to be thinking about orthodontics when we're looking I, at these. I completely things. agree. And I think, you know, what it was, I, I mean, as I said in my text message the other day, you know, we all need pals in this world. Uh, yeah. I'm no different. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've got, you know, groups of people that I affiliate with and it's having these people in your phone and just, you know, kind of, you know, good old WhatsApp um, and the speed of communication. That's exactly how we communicated in the last 36 yeah. hours. Even though I'm yeah. halfway around the world in the Middle East, uh, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hook up with you. You know, we're going to have a, a good, you know, discussion. Um, yeah. I'm going to learn from you as well. It's a win-win for me. Uh, I haven't yeah. seen you for ages as well, so it's always good to catch up with you and find out what you're up to. I thought it was only, I thought it was only a year ago since I saw you, but it's been about no. three or four 
years. It was so before long. the pandemic. It was before the yeah. pandemic, yeah. Yeah? yeah. And then after that, yeah. the world just turned upside down, and all sorts of things happened. And uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it looks like you know, you've gone, you know, from strength to strength. You know, which I'm very happy about. But as Thank you, you say, it's it's great to have. You know these types of people. I mean, if there was, you know, if there was one thing I could say on this podcast tonight, you know, for the dentist listening, is please, 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 start making very valuable, important relationships that will serve you well in your clinical career. You know, make sure you got these people in your corner. It could be the endodontist, the periodontist, uh, the prosthodontist, the implantologist. You know, the orthodontist. Get your gang of people that you get on with really well because that's important because the relationship, it always always comes down to that as we've discussed this a number of times Uh, and they're clinically very, very good. And and these are the people also, they will not stop learning people like yourself, basically, you know, that everyone kind of needs that guy in their corner saying, well, what do we do? You know, you know, let's ask Pav, you know, what would he do? How, you know, how can he help us? You know, so these people, you know, will always come to you for advice, you know, and they become friends, you know, some of them become friends. So, uh, because otherwise the loneliest feeling is handling something complex on your own in a four walled room. And and those walls are closing in on you because you've got a tough patient who could turn on you. uh, And you don't want that feeling of the stress yet because we know stress is a killer. You don't want that. You want the load to be shared. 100%. So, Neil, it's um, uh, just uh, if anybody wants to uh, send patients to you for <laughs> if they've got tips, molars, and whatnot, because your I'm in practice, machines, baby, you know where I am. Yeah. So, what, your practice name is Smile Lux. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we've been there twelve years. We're, uh, we started as a squat. We're a um, a high level private practice, and basically the practice is now fully digital. Uh, you know, my team do the scanning. Uh, I do a lot of the treatment planning. Yeah. Um, We do digital simulations for patients to see, you know, what their predicted outcomes are like. Even with the restorative dentist now, we will do digital simulations. Before I even put any brackets on those teeth or any aligner work starts, I'm saying, this is what I'm going to be sending you, and it's about 80% accurate. If you got this, are you happy? Once they email back to me saying, yeah, we're happy with this, and I'll, I'll, I'll give the patient 3D printed models. So in my clinic at the moment, because um, you haven't been, so you've got to come over. Uh, and I will personally take you out for dinner because there's a great <laughs> Indian restaurant, right, um, <laughs> that's just up the road from me. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I've been there several times. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the best Indian restaurants I've been to. So you have to come along as my guest, please. A hundred percent. And uh, <laughs> it's something I've said to my wife as well. I said, look, I said, when the little one, I said, if she needs orthodontics, I said, we're going to have to take her to Milton Keynes. I said, I'm not please. retiring. I'm not retiring anytime soon. I've got another 15, 20 years left in me. I want to keep going because I love Man. what I do. I, I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I do you know, 12, 14 hour days all the time. And it's an yeah. obsession. So in my clinic at the moment, it's state of the art. Um, it's two surgeries at the moment. It'll become a third surgery, but I'm also building my own in-house laboratory. I want full control or as much yeah. as i can get so i want yeah. aligners to start on the same day that means yeah. you see me in the morning if you're happy um and i've and i've and i've consented you properly and you're happy we start at the end of the day you'll be given your first five aligners nice. yeah you know that is service no more yeah. hanging around 
for certain companies to deliver and all this stuff and having to deal with those lab fees. I, I want to produce aligners on the same day, retainers on the same day. Uh, you know, we can, you know, obviously do teeth whitening, you know, mouth guards, whatever. And obviously I give my patients 3D printed models saying, this is the simulation I'm planning for you. Now take yeah. this to your general dentist or your prosthodontist or whoever. I will send them a letter. I'll tell them you've got the 3D printed models to show them and we'll work with you one step at a time. Yeah. Um, and I just think that seems to be, you know, the way forward. Folks, uh, I hope you can hear how passionate Sunil is uh, with regards to uh, orthodontics. And I, can, I hope you can see why he and I got on so well, because he, he's such a lovely guy. Sunil, your, your, your words are very, very kind. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for, um, uh, thank you for taking the time to, to, to speak to everybody this evening as well. It's been a great pleasure that um, you asked me to be on this podcast. I'm very, very happy. Yeah. Um, as I say, I never say no to you. You know, any if I can, if I can, you know, hook up with you and connect with you, you know, it's always a laugh. I've I've always yeah. I've always watching I've always watched you. I've always loved watching you evolve, and that's yeah. you. You know, you are someone who evolves over the time. You're never standing still. You're always moving forwards all the time. You will not quit. And uh, you know, and I would say I would hate to compete with you in the world of dental implants. I wouldn't want to even go up against you. I would actually do something else, like orthodontics. <laughs> orthodontics. <laughs> <laughs> I would just leave you to this, because I'm just thinking this guy, basically, you know, in another five years, he's left everyone else behind because he's, he's found something else. But oh, it's good. You know, it's good. It means, it, it means you love what you do. I'm like yourself, just perpetually learning. You got to, you got to learn. And this is a, a, a conversation that you and I had before, just before we started recording. Is the more you learn, the more we realize the, the less that we actually know. You know, for each one yes. question that answer, that's answered, uh, it opens up a, a, a th an avenue of, of three more questions. So all that happens yeah. is the more the, the older I get and the more that I study, uh, I actually understand the less I know. I just happen to get luckier in my outcomes. That's the way that I perceive it. So, um, well, listen, yeah. if you ever need me, you know, you just, you know, call upon me whenever you need because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put together some interesting cases um, yeah. of how they were then restored and it will just open up, you know, more eyes and more possibilities. It's, it's, it's amazing how many dentists have said to me, I didn't know that was possible. I've been hearing that again and again. You know, we didn't know you could do this. We didn't know you could do this. But you know what it is? It's, well, it's the creativity. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's get you a module on my um, uh, on on my Academy of Implant Excellent course, which is uh, which is coming up. I think that might be actually a good. That'd be, be great because I haven't seen that before on any other yeah. implant course, so it would be novel. Yeah. It yeah, would be let's novel. Do it. Um, okay. You know, as long as, as, long as you, you buy me dinner, you. as long as you buy me dinner. Don't worry, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I want a nice chicken curry, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I know some awesome places around here. Honestly, <laughs> you come. I'm I'm only in Beaconsfield, mate. Half an hour, like forty five minutes to an hour away from you is. So there's some awesome places around here. So. Get me some chicken curry and some naan bread, man. I will do anything. All right, that's it. You know, but not, but but not for anybody else. Only for you, because as I said, I've got a lot of you know love and respect for what you've been doing all these years. Mutual, um, thank you. So and keep pushing, man. Keep pushing the way. Yeah, I will do. So just uh, uh, just to say goodbye to everybody, thank you for those listening. Um, the last message uh, going out there is, um, uh, yeah, you know, 
please have a look at the Academy of Implant Excellence course. Uh, it's very, very close to launching now, academyofimplantexcellence.com. Uh, I have had a number of people reach out to me with regards to hands-on mentoring, um, which which is possible as well. So uh, uh, so feel free to message me about, uh, about that. There's a number of ways that we can do it. Uh, you can bring your patients to my clinic. Um, that way, the patients pay me directly, and there's no uh, there's no fee for you to pay. Uh, I, either myself or one of my f- uh, 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 mentor friends can come to your clinic, and we we can discuss that if that's easier for you. Uh, but I'm also excited because I'm in, I'm in talks with uh, uh, with uh, with another colleague uh, abroad, where we may be able to go uh, for a week and just place. 20 implants uh so for those who want like a really fast start um and i can't tell you exactly where yet but oh, 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 what? It's, oh, oh you know what i'd love to go myself <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's uh, there is a there is a scope of doing that so what i would say is if we can get seven to ten people um uh, per cohort uh, uh, ready to go i can very very easily make that happen and what i would say to you is this place is going to be phenomenal. You're going to have the time of your life. So there are a number of uh, options available, not only for me to teach you uh, uh, my way of doing implants and everything that I know theoretically, but also to accelerate your career and get you placing implants and get your uh, uh, or increase your skills, get you doing more complex stuff. There are definitely, definitely ways that we can help you. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening.